What's up? Uh, three, two, one. Welcome back to uh, two at one at two a.m. Back in the studio with um, Alex coming up on her solo show on one one three Nicholson on the third. You might remember her from the the first episode. Um, are you excited about your show? Are you getting close? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a little excited. Yeah, it's it's getting up to crunch time. So I'm pretty zen though. I'm I'm kind of in that state where. Too much excitement can kind of get in the way of what needs to be done. So, but yeah, no, I'm really enthused. This was three years in the making, and you know, I'm really happy it's finally happening. It's finally coming together. Yeah, me too. It's um, like you said, it's been a, a long time in the making. You've been a big part of like the the art scene, and then uh, I think people just they have an idea of like what you want to promote, but to be able to get like a solo show out in front of everybody puts it in that like concise format where they can digest it easier. You know, you describe that really well. I agree with you on that, and that is what I'm finding with this show. And I'm really, really excited about that because. When I work alone and I create, I'm creating the art in my studio and I'm doing my research, there is a cohesive process and unit to the body of work. But when I'm out about selling it or the work is being individualized in different sort of group shows, I find that sometimes the context can get a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, the work is still powerful uh, on its own. And I have done markets where my body of work sits together oh. and I've gotten a chance to get feedback from people to see how they respond to uh, the work together. And many have said that, yeah, it, 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 it reaches the sort of area or the vibrations. That Which, um, yeah. you were on the radio not too long ago, right? Yeah, I was on KPFT a couple months ago. Uh, I'll actually be on there again next week. Um, and we spoke a little bit about, you know, my work and the concepts of freedom and liberty. And yeah, art. it seems like that's kind of blown up for you. I know you did like one, uh, one appearance and I've been on there a couple times, right? Yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's interesting. I, this next appearance, this uh, next Thursday will be my second one. They've wanted me to come back for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, they've been really, really supportive. I really thank them for that. And I've just been so busy, of course, getting ready for the show. Yeah. Well, I think you got a voice for radio, too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I don't um, think it's the first time I've been told that. I know my voice tends to sound a little bit like a PBS um, book reader. You know, I uh, did that for a little bit, right? PBS book reading? No, I didn't know. Did you know? Oh, no, I did the... Uh, <laughs> I worked in radio. <laughs> I was going to be a, a DJ when I was living out in Cottonwood, Arizona for a little bit. Okay. I, went, I went out there and, like try to live with a girl and like do the the family thing but fucking uh small town arizona was a little much we ended up coming back to houston but they were gonna send me to like um to write to dj school to learn all that shit wow but, yeah no like like so like sound engineering and uh production yeah i mean uh they would have they would like paid for it and then uh you know i could have stayed there and been like a small town dj or you can just come back to houston and like spend 200 dollars and set up your bedroom <laughs> yeah no um that's actually something that my sister did. She has her degree in that sort of field. I actually work for a company that sells uh, audio engineering gears, uh, stage gear. Yeah, tell them, tell them where you work at. They might, not, they might recognize that spot too. <laughs> I work at a lovely little company called Famous Stages, north of 45. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, with all those lovely stage lights. Yeah, you can see from... Speakers that you can see for a good couple of miles. You've been there for a while, though. I think that's uh, they've been treating you a little bit better than um, when you were doing graphic design, right? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I still do graphic design. I just do it for an in Better company. company absolutely. Yeah. And um, the benefit of that, of, of, of working there, is I get the opportunity to see how this industry sort of works. And yeah. How this, you know, how everyone comes together to make a concert happen, to make a show happen. DJs, we rent a lot. We rent DJ gear, and we have some of the best prices to do so. A shameless plug. Yeah. But, um, it's all good. Yeah, you know, uh, you get the chance to learn a lot about what the DJ industry in general, you know, what it is to be a DJ, a mobile DJ for events, parties, the types of DJ you can be, the types of events you can do, the types of gear that's out there, um, you know, things like buying music, producing your own music. 
it's quite this uh, world and arena that's global, mm-hmm. very niche, but very global. I only know two type of DJs, the ones that want to DJ and the ones that are musicians DJing to make money. That's interesting. That's interesting. There are a couple of other types too. There are like mobile DJs who, these I would almost say are like your party folks. Oh, uh, they, they fucking party, man. We, um, we went to half price books to pick up something for like my niece's birthday. And, uh, we thought they were, they thought there was like this banging, uh, new Mexican joint, like four or five blocks down. It was just a fucking insurance company. They had a really good DJ out there and he was fucking blasting the tunes, dude. Yes. And so I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because that's when there's anything I've learned in the industry is that the demand or the desire for DJs in very uh, unconventional arenas and places is growing. Like people talk about DJs being at, you know, they're not just that's just their kid's birthday party now, but like yeah, their insurance company. Well, you've been to you've been to PJs, right? What's that? You've been to PJs on West Cray? Yes, I have. I have. Yeah. You know the difference between a bad KJ and a good one? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's insane. Have you been to? The Voice karaoke lounge over here on Barker Cypress. No, I haven't. Are they any good? I went. Uh, I went on a date with somebody on Thursday, and she mentioned going there. But we kind of focused on like what we were talking about. She was pointing out how the DJ doesn't know how to mix the the audio to make like the vocals louder. Yeah. So everyone's always played out like oh, like they're in the background of the song, and it's kind of hard to hear them. They have to like yell sometimes. Yeah. And that's the difference between. Oh, so I was like, yeah, that's the difference between there and going to fucking PJs. No, there is. There is karaoke DJs. <coughs> that's their. That's a whole another variety of dj oh yeah um if you know jesse salinas too he looks like fucking um like uh grateful dead santa claus if you give him like a uh, a jello shot or like a margarita if there's a song you want and there's like a karaoke version on youtube you'll get it he'll know oh yeah see and it's every uh, every karaoke dj is different about that but uh i've never met one that's like you'll just download it on the fly they, yeah, just, well, they give you fucking shit like, you know, well you're not you're never in here i'm not downloading a song for you yeah, I, um, hmm. Have you ever been to Jumps? Who? Jumps. No, I haven't. It's, uh, I don't know where it is exactly. It's somewhere off I-10. A lot of people from work go there to drink. It's like a karaoke pool place. It's not my favorite, though, honestly. <laughs> Sound a connoisseur. Uh, I don't, I don't fit in a lot of places. I basically only fit in a PJs. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I used to go, there's this one DJ place I used to go to, like, uh, over where I lived, and think it was called not it, i can't even remember the name of it that's so bad i actually really liked the that karaoke bar though um it should go back <laughs> i do like karaoke but that's just another i haven't found i haven't found anybody who wants to go with me it's not for a lack of asking it's just that you know how adults be adulting it's just yeah that's like finding someone to go to coral sword with you yeah yeah it's timing well that, that was like the good part about that date uh we went to t and victory which is over off um i-10 it's kind of like where uh insomniac used to be kind of in that area oh the heights yeah it's yeah. like borderline heights like edge of 610 like just barely in it yeah but uh it's like six dollars for a board game and they have all these fresh teas obviously they even have like beer too so i mean they have like a little bit of food we got some queso and it wasn't hot sorry you know chef paul but uh fucking <laughs> you can uh it's a good spot dude it's only like five dollars too and they have basically every board game that i've ever seen <laughs> and you can play like all day too it's a good it's a good chill date spot for anybody that does that type of thing yeah yeah no i there are a couple of places like that growing and popping up in Houston and it's interesting because I remember the ones that existed maybe about 10 years ago and they usually all like in Westheimer or Montrose and now as every little borough and little neighborhood is kind of picking up its own community these places are finding a really good avenue to um, become some sort of flagship to I think the move uh, Insomnia made or Insomnia made was a good one. They belong on East End. It's a better fit for them next to Bohemos. Yeah. Well, that's something, you know, that's something to think about because I've, I do a lot of shows in Insomnia. And if there's anything I've, I've noticed and experienced is that they, they will go where um, they kind of go... I almost would say where it's like growing. Yeah. You know, they were in the heights. Probably <coughs> when the heights was growing, when yeah, it wasn't. They were in the heights in the best time to be in the heights. And then when it, you know, when it's it not got, so hot to be there anymore. There's a lot of California startups and stuff moving in. 
Yeah, and when it you know when it was no longer a good time to be in the Heights anymore, they moved to the East End. Now then you know the Coral Sword popped up a little further down the street, and there's yeah. some killer spots. I went. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, there's a really nice bar down there that's um, LGBT. I forget what it's called though. Oh goodness, you definitely got me on that. I haven't been around or out in the past couple months. <laughs> no, I'm not even gonna look it up, but it's cool. Um, I'll mention it on a future podcast. <laughs> I'll give him proper credit. But uh, but yeah, East End's been kind of like um, I mean historically, it was like a place to go to get drugs, really. And then uh, I always knew it as that uh, there's that one bar that's across the street from like the where all the manufacturing jobs are at. Yeah. DWs. It opens at like 7 a.m. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I remember. The, I know the East End to be, and I think this will be just contingent on it shows kind of where you were at when things were happening but it was a little mixture of like um still incredibly hood incredibly uh risque but the crust punks on the artists were kind of there and it would be you know you could rent you would meet your friends and it'd be like five guys renting like this this shotgun house that's like falling apart that'd be cool and i remember doing a like people <coughs> shows you could have your shows you have your punk rock shows and in your house concerts yeah in these homes because nobody you know cared anymore yeah so you know lots of great parties happened out there but then you also have to be like incredibly careful because if you're blitzed and you go to the gas station to yeah like chill you know people will be they'll like, start fucking with you yeah it's kind of I mean, uh, it's always been that way on East End. That's where all my heroin friends hang out. I mean, I love insomnia, but I wouldn't walk a block in either direction from it if I had to. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you know. Telephone road's not too safe. But, but that's changing, but it's a little rough. East End right now is really fighting gentrification. That's a Houston tradition. We've been, gent- we don't even gentrify. We just pave over everything. Like, there's no history. Like, if it's been closed for more than a year, it's like, just bulldoze it. Yeah. Third Ward is really fighting against that. And there are a lot of city initiatives. Um, oh, yeah. They fucking, they hate White Oak, man. They do not like it. When the Suicide Boys came through last year, they almost got that bitch shut down. They were fucking, people were complaining. Like, you're rapping. It's like, it's a school night. You're rapping about satanic shit. Rapping, yeah. up, rapping about killing the fucking cops. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, I didn't know. You've been to White Oak, though, right? I mean, there's nothing fucking around it. There's, like, some old-ass houses from the 50s, and there's the Salvation Army. Terrace? No, White Oak. White Oak? Oh, White Oak Bayou? Oh. On uh, 45 North right there. 45 North. I think you're going to North Side. It's a venue. Um, I think the last person I saw there was Explosions in the Sky, honestly. Oh, I think I know you're talking about. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's outdoor and it's on a stage, but it's just like in the middle of like that random fucking street on 45. I think it's like across the street from that fucking McDonald's actually. Oh, yeah, my White Oak, uh, Bayou, not White Oak Bayou, but the White Oak Musical? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I've been to show there. Yeah. It's fairly new. There's nothing around it. <laughs> Yeah, Raven Tower now. Yeah, but that area in itself is... They hate it. They do not want the venue. They want it gone. They do not want new business. They fucking hate it, dude. Okay, so my first art studio was in Fifth Ward. Oh, yeah. So it was down the street from White Oak Bio Music Hall. And I remember when the the woman I was was renting my studio from, she was renting this shotgun house. Yep. Uh, in you know in this, in this small little shotgun house street and they're building some of those um, not necessarily shotgun but in Bridgeland over here yeah, and the original the little the little 1930s yeah little, with literally you know, like the like the three or four foot yard and then the little backyard too yeah it was, you know but, you know a really nice I don't know I don't know if I'd want to live one that was like an hour outside of downtown like that but <laughs> like downtown it's a different story no the metro runs right through it it's great it's, yeah like, well I'm gonna tell you. Um, I had the studio there. It was, it was, you could literally just go and walk, take the metro into downtown. That was incredibly convenient. So I started to see the value in the community mm-hmm. of the people living there. You know, we could walk to the grocery store. You could really, everything was just so convenient. Um, but the woman who was renting the house I was, my studio was at, I told her, I said, you know, we as artists, and, you know, as far as gentrification concerns, is that. Artists are like the, we're the trailblazers for everything. The world follows where we go, but we yeah, have to go where I we Yeah, I mean, that's basically the, the foundation of like human culture. <laughs> yeah, it's like the oldest thing you can find is cave paintings. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, wherever artists go, 
we go because we're broke, so we're gonna go and live in the hood. Yeah. And then, but we beautify the hood. We can't help it. We're artists, so we're gonna paint murals. We're gonna paint our house. That's probably the one yard. That's probably one of the better things about Houston. They really don't give a shit when you paint on the buildings. Yeah, no, like well, you know that the, the street artist community here is intense and amazing, and it's been growing. That's actually how I got my start. I was doing my solo show or my first show, not my solo show. My first show was with a group of street artists. Yeah. All, uh, a lot of different lowbrow artists and that was how the agent I was working with the art agent I was working with that was how she was getting her foot in exposing these artists to the community nice but her goal was to rent all the houses on the street and turn them into studios oh yeah yeah I think uh, that was kind of I think I came for some of the open that one's like uh, kind of that same area right like 45 north yeah yeah, yeah it's like right down the street I think I remember that house actually exactly no because I had a, we really I could see immediately we were turning this neighborhood that was kind of run down you guys used to live down the you used to work down the street from like where Angelise lived yeah yeah it's <laughs> Yeah. No, um, that house on fucking 45 North where your studio was at for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she lived over there with um with Homeboy. I went to visit her and we walked around for a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it's a lucrative area despite its appearance. But the thing is, is that this was almost five, seven years ago. And I could see at the time that what we were doing while it was beautiful and amazing... I was like, this is this is also going to. She's gonna bring in people that are gonna drive up the price anyway, and they're gonna yeah, kick you out. Yeah, I saw it a mile away. <coughs> this is before I really understood what was like how gentrification happened, and I was just like, whoa. Yeah, because I mean, they didn't. Um, I mean, that one spot I like to think of where that torches is on the way to, on the top of two forty nine. Yeah. I don't think that area was really blowing up until they put the. Um, the Alamo Draft House there. Yeah. And a lot of people started moving, and then they started, they opened up, like, Black Walnut and some other locations. Yeah, bar. It's usually some hip bar. That's, you know, some hip, yuppie bar. To- and it's not, like, a unique bar anymore, either. It's one from, like, it's definitely a franchise, and it's been in California for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, so. But it's not bad. What happens, it's, like, first the artists, then the people who want to be cool, like the artists, and then the yuppies. The content creators, and then the people yeah. that share content, and then yeah. the people that don't do anything. The, the, people the, the people you're trying to get away from. No, 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 you're very wrong on that. You need to, I think this really needs to be understood by people that it, it's money. People, first, it's growth. It's not even money. It's creativity. The world is, the world is a creative force. Life is a creative force. Money is a creative force. Money is the product of creativity. Yeah. But most people don't really make that connection. So it's like create creatives go with like content creators, create the content. People who want to share that content because it's avant-garde and then they know they go to this content, they share the content. Well then those people are trendsetters. So you get to the point where the bars and the money makers, the businesses go, well, we want to be where they're at because these are the people who are going to spend money and will share about my business. Have you seen the... And then you get the yuppies who come in and they're all like, well, this is where everything is happening. Yeah. So I want to be here. Yeah. And then they bring more money and then eventually the developers come in and then it's just a chain. And then eventually you have a community. But by this point, the original content creators couldn't afford to stay. So then they leave and they go somewhere else. Have you seen the... You familiar with the NPC meme that's floating around? Yes, very familiar. Yeah, you heard about um, that only people are like... Mm, primarily people on the right or content creators you know i've heard that i uh what's your own experience with that um personally because i think i think you and me probably have like a similar like you know point on the political tangent but i don't know i don't know a whole lot of other like direct content creators so i don't have a lot of people to gauge off that i okay this is how i see it because i've been in this for a while i was part of like gamergate so this is this is quite you were a gamergate you were a teenage Gamergate? No, it was, it was, you know, I was, I was at Gamergate before it was called Gamergate. Yeah. And so I watched how this... You've been ahead of a bunch of the trends, usually. Yeah, I, well, you know, <coughs> it, it, it's ideas. The world is run by ideas and the creative force of ideas. But there's only half of them that are making it and the other half are no, just no, no, sharing no. them. Like a... Like 10%, it's the Pareto distribution. Yeah. 10% of all, of, of any population produce 50% of the work. Yeah. So, if it's, to answer your question, um, 
We talked about that last time a little bit. Yeah, how I kind of remembered it was it was just people on YouTube making commentary. All it was all it was apolitical. People on YouTube making commentary about their favorite games, what they thought about what's going on in the world, just stuff. It, yeah. it, a lot of these people were probably classically liberal. Um maybe full-on liberal, maybe libertarian. That was probably kind of as far right as they would go. Yeah. And then what they would see is they would see like these radicals kind of come in and sort of slander every sort of media and say, well, this media is sexist or racist or some sort of ism. Yeah, that was kind of the... They would bring ideology into everything. That was the precursor to all this shit. Well, yeah, exactly. That's This is, you know, this is... Pre, this is this is how I was able to predict the president, the Trump presidency, because it was. No one saw that coming, but you. Uh, and, you know, I think the people who saw it, because I, I I saw it coming, but like the people people who who didn't see it, didn't want to see it because I kept. I wasn't that I didn't tell people. It wasn't that I wasn't pointing out the signs. It's just that people wanted to, you know, they were so busy wrapped up in whatever cocoon that they had, and I was like, no, you gotta look at this. Creatives are being attacked. Yeah. For being creative. <clears throat> you can't. I mean, it's it's one thing to like uh, to steal the meme, but then to like deplatform me too because it's too funny or like too it burned your ass too bad. That stuff happened during GamerGate. That that was the start of it. That was the whole like you could see the precursor for like the deplatforming coming. They just didn't have a target to tie it to yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the same thing too. I mean, uh, they're basically just hating on like the. It's like, well, you, uh, you fit this, um, this group identity that I don't like. So I'm just gonna use like literal like prejudice and racism and not be bad for it because it's you know approved and it's about gamers. The meta game I see going on right now with that is that I think there was an intentional corralling. Well, kind of like reading that the other thing or hearing about the NPC meme and like reading about content creators. I do have Photoshop, so I mean, I kind of like I did start making memes again. I made this one yesterday. Oh shit! <laughs> uh, it's a uh, okay. There it goes. Ah, oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I just made the meme. I took the. Have you seen the like? Uh, it's like a cop getting a hug from a lady where she uh she like stole five eggs from the grocery store and he bought her like some groceries. I'm looking at it right now. I'm okay. Looking at it right now. You can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I just changed the last word to the groceries to eggs. What does it say? Uh, the, this this woman stole five eggs to feed her kids. Instead of arresting or instead of arresting her, Taryn Officer William Stacy bought her a truckload of eggs. <laughs> That's really. It's like, it's like five seconds in Photoshop, and then it's like seven hundred likes. Oh wow! Yeah, it's kind of yeah. But that's uh, like, and it's it's uh, it's so fucking weird to realize there is like a split. There's like a paradigm. There's some people that just, I don't know if it's not. I mean, because Photoshop's a skill, but I mean, I didn't go to school for it. I just fucked around in it for seven years. Yeah. Anybody, um, anybody can download it now too. It's like fifty bucks. It's easy. Yeah, you can do it on your phone. You don't have to have a. It's 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 because creativity. That's what you know. You learn this in art school is that it, creativity isn't really necessarily technical ability. It's the, it's the ability to understand an idea and communicate it. I think... Um, Sometimes it's not even the ability to understand the idea. Sometimes it's just the ability to communicate the idea. Yeah. I think there's going to be a, what I like to call... Um, so transhumanism is uh, this whole idea that like, okay, well, gender, you know, you're not your body, basically. You can be whatever. Uh, posthumanism is just, you know, looking at reality from... Um, a removed perspective like after people or you know after this whole you know political identity thing passes um and a lot of like what i've started to realize with post-humanism is it's going to move towards like there's no um as you start automating the workforce and you start removing you know humanity from the the parts of like maintaining the planet the only thing we have left to do is create and that's the only thing we're going to be valuable for is create if we if we're inventing our creators right now they're not going to keep us around because we're you know good thinkers or anything like that <laughs> they're going to keep us around because we're fucking funny and because we make you know killer music and good paintings and all that's what they've done that's since the dawn of time that's I, the way it is now it's going to there's going to be like such a prime market on creativity that like the the job economy and like it already is yeah, you it's can see it coming. Been that way. That's why. That's why I'm on. That's why I'm making a fucking podcast. <laughs> no, of course, of course. But the reason why I say this exasperatingly is because that's what people don't see is that that's literally how you 
our reality has always been created that way. You can go back to the 1700s and look at the history of mercantilism. That's how it was created. It was it was people, individual people deciding to pick up a trade of creation and then coming together and creating a town. Yeah. And I mean, um, you can't really define that as a species because there's no inherent value in a painting. It just enriches you like spiritually and culturally. But I mean, that's the foundation of all culture, too. So, I mean, you kind of always need art. Well, the irony of saying, yeah, and I understand what you're saying. I was just thinking of like, it's really interesting to say like, there's no inherent value, but I think I know what you mean. Well, I mean, from like a, like a, a, a survival standpoint, because I mean, the painting's course, not yeah. not going to feed you. It's not going to keep you warm. It's not going to, it's kind of that we talked about that a little bit last time too. Like, um, it's one of those things that, uh, is transcends time and space a it little way. And it, you know, it, it was, I was going to say, I, I recently discovered this of why it does transcend time and space is because humans don't, for the most part, don't really know what they need to survive. Yep. Um, that's they really, they really limit themselves they really are, and it's not it's not the worst thing on planet Earth that they do this. It makes total sense why they do this. Um, but for example, you know, human beings need other people. Yeah. Now this is something that people will often debate in different ways. I used to be, I used to do this, and then I really started understanding like, no, human beings need connection. We are an interdependent species because this is an interdependent interdependent universe. And because of that, people will say, oh, well, I need food and water to survive. And it's like, well, then why is it that babies die if they don't get the connection, but you feed them food and water? Yeah. It's, you know, art's value, if done right, is connection, which is how and why people will spend thousands of dollars on it. That's why... That's the insane thing about fucking art, too. The value is literally, like, quantum, almost. It is. It is. You know, it's very... Con- yeah. It's a... Consciousness-dependent. Quantum-dependent. Quantum-dependent. I was trying to explain this to someone the other day, how to be, like, uh, quantumly pure when you uh, think too much about the... Because the, the way... The nature of reality, like, part... Like, um, the, the double-slit experiment. Yeah. Electrons only behave when they're being observed. They really don't know where they're going to appear in reality until the last possible instant. Yeah. Your brain's kind of the same but way. That's how you ma- that's how manifestation of your reality works. Well, um, you like, uh, uh, they think there's like, when we talk about like higher dimensions, I think they all, um, I don't think they necessarily, it's not like a, there's a fourth dimension outside this one. I think they all inherit the same space, but you yeah. can only like your brain is like a speed limiter. I mean, all possible realities are colliding into us at the same time. Yeah. And your brain just like, it's like a governor on an engine and gives you that ability to, to, focus on one life at a time basically yeah well not for me if you are a uh, no like serious if you're an extrasensory yeah you've already known this and we're in a generation right now we're entering the golden era where people with extrasensory abilities um one have known this but they never you know they don't know how to describe it until you know we all kind of come together and go hey no this is the ancient literature of talking about how you manifest and create anything you want in your life and it's recognizing that um recognizing the not necessarily the manipulation of time but the illusion of time and how you can get what you want the moment you want it but there's a lot of uh you know third dimensional uh i would say more of like brain funk uh ways that we get in the way of that yeah. And one of the many things people do, and that's why, like, why children are great at just creating, because have, nine times out of ten, they don't have, they don't have this, the... They haven't, like, crystallized in that reality yet. They yeah, kind of they have. Yeah, they're not so, they haven't been socialized by limitation. They haven't had, like, someone else's reality smack into theirs yet, so it's more pure. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, the thing about it is that when realities collide like that, we as humans don't, on average, like our, the average socialization is we're fear-based if we're living in a lack paradigm. So if you have parents, caretakers, teachers who have your reality, like, you know, if you have a child and the realities collide, the parent's response is fear. So they're going to say to the child, something is wrong. Something happened that was wrong. You are wrong. 
Now they don't say it like that. They they say it in a form that's more punitive. They do it uh subcon- they do it subconsciously too without saying stuff sometimes. No, no, absolutely, but that's just a projection. In children, because they don't have the logical you got this the logical faculties, but usually they haven't developed the sophistication yet yeah. to understand, oh, this isn't my energy, that's my teacher's energy. Mm-hmm. I was like that as a child, you know, I could, I, I was, it was, you know, and I think a lot of children. Yeah, you, you know when thoughts aren't your own, when like, you know, someone made you think that way after they told you enough times. Well, you know, you know, just when you're dealing with another human being who is um, trying to, trying to assert their will over yours yeah. because of their own fear. That's part, well, the will is part of it. Like the quantumly pure thing isn't even original. I mean, Joel Olstein talks about that. So is my fucking vampire book. If you focus too much on the, the past or the present, it uh, takes up resources that you would use normally to like manifest something in the present reality. Yeah. And there's other, there's like life hacks that you can do to free up even more intent to give you like a better chance of affecting reality. Um, not having sex is a good one. Um, fasting, you know, power plants, meditation. Once you put, once you free up like your mind to have, have, uh, that extra energy you kind of like you can have a greater effect on on reality even if it's only a passive one yeah no well okay so i personally am experiencing this is my experience yes all of that's true by the way um and that's something i realized with just years worth of meditation that you can really do all it frees up like more energy yeah it does but then it also makes you realize um it makes you realize you almost become like a plant. You become like a tree. You start to understand like how trees exist, which is in the sense that, yeah, you can create your own reality, but that's not what you want. Have you ever, um, when you say talking about like a plant, have you ever done that like visualization or thing in your mind where you're like taking energy from the earth? Yeah, sure. I think that's always like a big game changer for meditation. Once you feel, once you like, once you master stillness and just not, you know, the actual point of meditation, just focusing yourself and being present, then you can actually feel that subtle shift in energy and feel like the energy the planet gives you. It's fucking insane. No, absolutely. And that's actually how, if you do that kind of meditation and uh, and other forms of meditation like that, you actually realize that why you don't need to eat. And I was submitting to some people and I've known this for a while that we as humans, if we really wanted to in extreme cases, we don't have to eat for yep. energy. They definitely, they tell you you have to eat all these calories and they feed you three times a day for a reason and it's not to make you healthy. It's to, to tie up resources in your body so you don't think too deep about anything. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. You know? I kind of, I will... I do the intravenous fasting on Tuesdays and Fridays, and the way I look at it is when the when something does happen and people are eating each other in the first seventy two hours, I can at least make it a day before I start getting hungry. So. Oh yeah, no, and I, I've done intermittent. I've done intermittent fasting. Have you read any about the the type of meditation where you stop eating? Yes. You're supposed to, um, it's actually plant-based uh, a lot. The one I read said you're supposed to go out at like three or four in the morning and meditate, um, you know, surrounded by plants or in the forest and yeah. feed when they do because that's when they get their energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about keeping a rock in your mouth too. I've never gone that far, but I can definitely see, you know, just dancing around the limitations of it. No, I, I've, um, I've, everything in, in graduation, you know, you have to, first things first, I kind of have the same opinion about the sun. That's a little more controversial. You really think about the fact that, you know, it depends on what you want to do as a person. Like, most people don't meditate. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're going to talk about, yeah, you don't, you don't have to eat food. It's like, yeah, you don't, you don't have to eat food. Yeah, you can be a, a raw food vegan. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff is very possible, and it's very beneficial. It also depends what you want to do with your consciousness. And all of that stuff is very important, and it's a, good, it's a great practice for mental and emotional clarity. I do it. There's some people but that... I also recognize that that is such a personal decision to choose to do something like that that you have to kind of also ask yourself you know what are your own motivations and what the the full circle of that is once you realize the the funny part about getting the abilities having the abilities to do this sort of stuff is that you realize that it's not really what you want in the first place that you actually really just want to live your life um, in a peaceful manner and that's why, you know, the joke is, is like, yeah, you know, yeah, you can create your, you can create your own reality. But the beauty of realizing that is realizing that that's not actually what you want, because then, you, you know, you want you don't want your life to be that predictable. And what do you know about what you want in life? 
Well, they use um, meditation positively in a lot of places like uh, Detroit and Chicago, where they have um, high violence and you know issues with kids with uh, yeah. low parent households. No, it's very quite honestly. It helps them. A, it helps them a lot more than any kind of punishment. And then, yeah, like like you were saying, like it's not even so much like um, people don't people don't even stop. Like I, I can think of like basically most of the people I know have never like completely stopped and like felt their body. And I don't mean like mean. like touched all of it. Like just close their eyes and like you know felt their toes, felt their knees, felt do their a body, do a body scan. Yeah. Do, do like a, an inventory and like just see how everything is and then like modern life is so fucking hectic like you can definitely see how people get diseases and stuff that you would see like well it's like uh my uh uncle's you know grand, granddad or whatever he's in the hospital now because he got fucking uh he wasn't he got out for like a gallbladder surgery and he didn't fucking shit for two weeks and he didn't tell anybody and i was like uh i was like i don't know i can't imagine i don't know how you would get that far that you were just like um, I'm not shitting then I guess I won't worry about it till like his belly started to like expand I was like oh my god dude yeah but, yeah that's that's definitely like I mean I've I've changed my body but meditation's like the first time I've really like felt it kind of the same thing with like your mind and your spirit you've never really stopped and just let those things like have free reign for a second yeah and for a lot of people they don't do that at all like in their life meditation might be the only way they can do that yeah yeah, and those are all um, entry-level ways to, to doing that. Have you ever used it for, like, um, have you ever had, like, anything internally wrong or, like, felt something and then, like, tried to use meditation to help it? Yes. I had uh, an issue. I didn't know you could take a shit wrong until, like, a couple weeks ago. I was doing one, and uh, I had, like, a migraine go up the back of my spine and, like, explode in my brain, and it was, like, the most painful headache I ever had. Um, the only thing that made it go away was like, uh, sitting on the balcony and doing my breathing exercises and just like taking the time to get the, the, the oxygen flowing properly and stuff like that. Yeah. No, that's stuff I used to do as a teen, um, for headaches, but I even still do it to this day. You know, I'm even currently dealing with some health issues in that regard, by the way. I, I do did give a disclaimer. We are not medical professionals. So yeah. if you desire medical help, please go and see a doctor. I am yeah, if you get if you get headaches from taking a shit, it's actually like a blood pressure thing. You yeah, should go and get it looked at. You know, I'm not suggesting that anybody serious. Everything I think about is more preventative and more of just, it's like keeping a log. But usually people are so disconnected from their bodies that by the time there is an issue. It's way too late. You, you, yeah, you need to go and get uh, what they call. An interve- intervention. intervention intervention medicine yeah intervention medicine which is the uh, worst what type I, <laughs> I, what I had a thought about and this was true about um, the sort of you know feeling your body and so you know with impacts this is something that is very very important for impacts because impacts naturally pick up on these energies in other people's bodies yeah, you can kind of. They're doing. I fucked with my boss one time like that. He he didn't. I asked him if he was feeling okay. He's like, "How'd you know?" Well, yeah, no, I, well, yeah, no, I've done it before, and you know, we are like I won't get into the science behind it, or like not even just the science, but I won't get into the history of it. But it's just being even connected to your own chakras, and you can actually identify what exactly is wrong with you know what element is being affected by particular situations in your life. And so... That's Eastern medicine instead of Western. Well, yeah. Yeah, yes, it is. The doctrine of signatures. When you understand that, like, how your heart chakra is sort of the power center and how it functions as, as, like, the the power center, the black hole torus of your body, Mm -hmm. um, you take very good care. You realize that everything in your body, from your ego... Uh, to your reactions, to your defense mechanisms, to your fighting and flighting, all is about protecting that core. Mm-hmm. But that that core doesn't necessarily have to be as protected as you think it does. It's just it's you've got so much you, the royal you, have so, has so much unprocessed trauma that. That's the purpose of the ego. I think is to protect you. No, it is. It is. It's a third-dimensional survival mechanism tool, and it's very important. And it's very valuable. Um, it's just trickster. So, because the ego's job is also to make you never ever think outside of the term "I." Yeah. The ego only exists as long as third-dimensional reality exists. It's not infinite. It's the one of these, other than your body. 
uh, and your body is actually quite infinite if we're going to talk in terms of matter, but your ego is not infinite. It's the only thing that dies when you die. And so that's why it is, it's invested in your survival. Uh, everything else, once you sort of not say transcend the ego, but when you start using your observing ego, you start to have the stillness where you understand who you really are and what you really are and how you're connected to all and everything and yet infinitely nothing at the same time. Your ego doesn't like this because your ego likes to be wrapped up in, well, what did someone say to me last Tuesday? Or how am I doing at work? Yeah. How much money is in my bank account? Or, you know, what's wrong with my shoes? And, you know, oh, you know, even and sometimes it's not even just material things. It can be caught up in its own thoughts like my feelings on the theory of everything and or my feelings about feelings in general and the ego is is um is very much the person person it's the personality and the person of your existence i would say it's the most human part of our existence it's the most personable part of our existence um i know this because in real time when i'm communicating with people and I'm not using my ego, there is a real uh, disconnect. Oh, that's the worst thing you can do. People don't understand what you're saying or the worst reaction is like they just get mad at you. Yeah, there's usually there's usually an anger and it's really interesting because- They can't take off that same mask, so it's not really fair. Well, it's not that it's not fair. It's, it's not fair to them. Well, it's not that it's, no, it's not that at all. You become a cosmic mirror. So at that point, you, don't exist to them you are reflecting what who who they are internally you're reflecting that ego back and most people who haven't done shadow work don't really like themselves because there's a lot of repression from trauma going on well that's uh that's stalking that's what don juan talks about he wants uh basically um when you i mean there's two two sides of yourself when you want to be the the part of you that's like alexia you have to play it you know to the fucking nine almost to the point of like self-parody oh no absolutely that was like the sorcerer's purpose like the way don juan did it was like dressing is uh uh over is a benefactor made him dress up in women's clothes because it gave him such a sharp push in his perception and moved his assemblage point and made him think in like such a different way well that's why we like costume parties yeah it's uh it's that's why i was saying like they get mad because you can take off that mask like for them halloween is you know all year round and you can you can decide when it stops anytime you want oh yeah people like that are such a riot because they have no idea that they're wearing a costume i mean teenagers know this when they're when they decide to pick a social identity yeah. so they can fit in and just kind of get by in school i'm a pro I'm a, I'm a i'm a prep i'm a jock i'm a football player i'm a band geek yeah. you know whatever and this keeps me alive um but it is your job as a, you know a self-actualized adult eventually to realize that you are not your clothes and you are not your hair and yeah. you are not your race and you are not your body well some some people grow up to realize that and some people go the other way <laughs> well yeah some people go like fool to the nine like this is all i know this is all i have what uh, else is there there is no god it's even so, worse you know. they hit like the other side of the parabola now now we're going back to like full-blown segregation but they're framing it as like a progressive thing <laughs> Is, well, that's the that's the nifty part about cycles, and that's part of the ego too. I mean, the other side of meditation is when you realize, like, wanting to get rid of your ego is a want, so you're never gonna release all wants, so you're never really gonna get rid of your ego. Yeah. You just have to learn how to deal with that greasy fuck. It's called the backdoor theory. It's the fact that the ego is slippery. The moment you get to your observing ego, your ego will go and identify with the observing ego, and this is a spirituality trap. And I want to. This is something that a lot of people have been noting and talking about recently, as, as well as myself this is something that i actually i personally experienced i i had the luxury of someone really informing me and actually really am grateful to this person they didn't re- i don't think they realized how much they kind of pointed this out to me but yep. they they kind of gave me a nice third dimensional earthly slap of you know quit treating me like I'm a fucking plebe. And I was like, well, you know, don't act like a plebe. And then I kind of thought to myself, he's like, no, yeah, you're right. Because ego, my ego has slipped into my spiritual, will slip into your spiritual persona. You'll be like, yes, I know I am infinitely nothing and yet infinitely everything. Yeah. And yet 
I'm enlightened, and then your ego is like, yeah, but the moment I say I'm enlightened is I or am, your ego has slipped into that position. Self-importance. You can do about it. There's yeah. nothing, and there's nothing to do about it. That's not a bad thing. You, what you do is you go, hey, ego, how you doing? Hi. Well, you can, um, you can learn to use it too. Cause I mean, we, we talked about ego death the last time. So I know, I know you've gone through that type of experience. Once you reach that place of no pity, you kind of, you kind of realize what the start and you can, you can see self-importance a lot more in other people. Yeah. And I don't know if it's necessarily like a good or a bad thing. It probably just end up annoying you, but honestly, like you have to make people understand that feeling sorry for themselves is a form of like egotism, like nothing, even if it's like a genuine tragedy, like prolonging it and feeling sad about it is a form of like being selfish and egotistical. Like wanting people to feel sorry for you is greedy and selfish. Um, yes and no. That is also a cycle. And I'm going to get a little, let me see if I can explain this to you in a, in a concise manner. So in my experience, that's the first level. That is individuation, by the way. So that is like, you know, you have, first you have, feel sorry for me. I'm in pain. I am suffering. I have needs that need to be met. Please feel sorry for me. And because I have, I don't know. I'm ignorant of how to feel better. I don't even know. I need help. Yeah. And they don't know how to sometimes verbalize that need. So it comes out in, in all sorts of self-pitying ways that make us sort of recoil because we don't necess- we're not necessarily connected with ourselves to know what to give to other people. And then the next step is, okay, I've helped myself. I have suffered and I've, I've gotten myself out of the hole. So because I have done that, I don't really know why I would need to help somebody else. They need to know how to help themselves. Yeah. And that's how, that's where you get the whole, well, feeling sorry for yourself or throwing a pity party is really counterproductive and don't do that. And, you know, you get the whole, that's where you get like your rampant individualism. And I've, I've done this. I've totally subscribed to this, you know, for a good chunk of my life. Um, but that's also a sign of your needs not being met. That's a sign of neglect. So it's a very interesting paradox that I've heard is that when you meet people who pride themselves on rampant individualism or I can be fine on my own, what you've essentially you're dealing with is a person who's never had their needs met. They've never had anyone be there for them in the way that we as humans need to be there for each other. Yeah. And that manifests as, oh, I don't need anybody. It's like, oh, wow. I, and you really start to actually feel not bad for them, but you start to actually see that the suffering has never really left. So there is the next level after that, which is the interdependence phase. So you recognize, hey, when I need, when I have needs that need to be met, I know how to meet them. Yeah. But sometimes I can't always meet them. And so sometimes I need help. And there's nothing wrong with me needing help in the form of a pity party, needing help in the form of a companion, needing help in the form of someone being there for me, but also knowing how to express that in a uh, Marshall Rosenberger, to use his example, nonviolent communication way of, of presenting your needs of saying, I have a need for connection right now. Can you meet that need for me? Most people, that's a very wizened way of being a healthy, integrated human being. The issue with that is nine times out of 10, the people we go to to try to get these needs met don't know how to do that. They look at us and go, I'm completely confused on the language you're speaking. Hmm. I'm rampant individualist. Why can't you just do it on your own? You know, it, 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 that's why when you finally kind of master this, you go, oh, I need to be with people who know how to be there for themselves and be there for others and also know how to ask for help when they need it or go you get the actualized community that's a tall order though i have trouble getting a text back sometimes no it, see and i'll tell you about that i had that issue recently when you are dealing with people who who use communication tools as a form of barrier and control texting is a form of that you know because someone can choose to not answer a text and that's really invalidating those, those are yana girls that tell you they miss you and then ignore you for the rest of the afternoon <laughs> well there's a, that, that's a really big issue with men do it too by the way oh definitely well so the pretty men everyone everyone does it's a real big 
problem that I'm noticing, and I was having a conversation with someone about that, saying that it takes a lot of self-love and wisdom to first not run away from yourself in times of stress. We, we self-abandon collectively, consciously, in, in, in a way that is so neglectful and abusive to ourselves that when it comes to another partner, that's exactly what we're going to do to another partner. That's what we do with you know our friends and our family. Yeah. Oh, you've got problems. Ooh, you know I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go over here. You 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 suss that out. Or mm, they're there. I really don't know how to meet that need because I don't know how to do it for myself. Yeah. When you finally learn how to learn the value of communication, when you're dealing with people like that, you recognize the free will choice of that, and you go, you do one or two things. You re-engage, you bring it out, you say it, you, you point it out. You say, hey, you're ignoring me. That's kind of invalidating what's going on. If you still get that same response at a certain point, and this is more of an ego self-protection um, mechanism, you can choose to exit the, the situation altogether, and you can go and be with people who never do that to you. And that's the, the problem is, is that a lot of people don't cultivate regular healthy relationships in general they don't have yeah. friends that are there for them consistently they don't have family members that are there for them consistently uh or at least when they really really need them you know within reason yeah and that was something that i've been learning during this past venus retrograde which we're dealing with right now is that i've been so lucky and blessed in a way where I no longer self-abandon. So I, I, whenever I've gone into the grip or I'm having a really stressful time, I stay present with myself. Meditation helps with that. So you stay present with yourself during your own problems. You don't go and play video games, smoke a cigarette, go for a run, eat some food. You quit all your addictions. That's kind of how you do it. You quit all your coping mechanisms. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't crack the joke. You put it aside. You really sit with yourself and you go, what part of my body is feeling whatever anger, stress, pain, joy, excitement, fear, what's going on. The more you get used to being in your body and being with yourself, the more you can be there for others when they're in their own states. And then the more you will, and this is just by, uh, what is it, vibrational magnetism, you bring about people who don't Mm self-abandon. So next thing you know, you recognize, I have friends I can call and they'll pick up the phone. I have friends who say they'll, who who will be there when they say they will be there. I have family members that I can trust to be there for me when I need them to be there for me. Then you can get into like those, you know, those romantic relationships or try to get to know someone for that particular situation. And you can kind of quickly vet does this person abandon themselves when they're under stress? Do they? And, 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 and rampant individualism is actually a form of that. It's a coping me- mechanism for that. But does this person, when they're in pain, disregard their own pain? That's a red flag. Now, it's not a red flag if you, you, if you yourself disregard your own pain, then it's just simpatico. But if you're a person who's like, hey, when my leg is broken, I don't pretend it's not broken. My hand might be broken. I'm kind of pretending it's not. <laughs> people do that with their with their psyche their mental their emotions some of the crazy paradoxes i experience is the people who go i don't like crazy people but then they drive people crazy yeah but by ignoring <laughs> them gaslighting them and you know completely disregarding them neglecting them running away uh, or i don't like <clears throat> i don't like gossip and i don't like drama but i'm gonna tell you about every single person i hate who does that why and yeah. you're just like hey look there's nothing wrong that's shadow play. That's shadow. That's shadow work coming out, and you just love just interacting with people, being like, "Oh, like your self awareness is just so fascinating." You know, tell me more as you slowly run out the door because you recognize that these are the. You know, sometimes these. It, you know, people yeah. change, but we're all. I think. I think it is a cycle, like you said. Like uh, you put a lot of stuff into context. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, there's always the other side of it too. Like I've been, I've been rejected by both sides of society. So when it moves in that direction, where they're like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta pick a team," and it's like, "No, I fucking don't." You both, you both already rejected me a long time ago. Yeah. I'm just gonna hang out and hopefully other people don't fall in line with this bullshit either. Yeah. Oh, that's already happening. Because 
this consciousness is raising. I see what crazy you say that, though. I did call Ken last night when I fucked up my shit. Huh? And I had uh, I had my mom come and pick me up, obviously. So. Oh, yeah. I understand. Uh, hey, look. But someone was there for you when you needed them. Yeah. Sometimes... Oh, man. Loneliness is so fucking tricky, dude. It is. Because it, it feels like I'm going to end up back there regardless. And sometimes you end up in, like, a rush to get to that point. Yeah. But you definitely shouldn't, like, rush to get that final fucking level of loneliness. Unless... I mean, but there is a reason to go to that level, too. If you're not, like... If you're... Like, uh, granted, you have a different, you know, uh, job. Uh, but not only that, but like, um, just, just like your personality type, like you get more energy from people than I think I do. I kind of like take that energy and then just shit on them and leave. No, I'm an incredible introvert. Um, and that, that's most, that's, that's, that's the empath in me. I get, but I've been, and this is my, this is currently some training and development I've been working on as an empath and an introvert is recognizing that introvert one, everyone's an empath. Everyone has a capacity for that ability. We just stunt it. And then two, there's really no such thing as empath or extrovert or introverted. But it's about how, you know, right now, it, humans get and receive energy in different ways because we, we stunt ourselves. So the thing about being an introvert in general is not that you you're, you're drained from the, the the technical definition is you're drained by human interaction or you're drained by lots of human interaction and you like more slow focused attention yeah uh either like one-on-one time or uh, focused time alone but the reason why you're drained in group interactions is because there's a fear of being authentic it's a lack of authenticity. And this is something that even I as an introvert, that's why, that's why ambivert is becoming a really popular term because it's people who recognize that they can get energy from being around people and they can also get energy from being alone. That's a good point too, though, dude. That's probably why I just can't, I just don't do well in group situations. I know I can't be my real self, so there's no point in like pretending. Yes, but that's a belief system that you have. That's not a fact. And a lot of well, people, a lot of people will say things like, "I can't be myself because of X, Y, Z," and then it's, or like, but that's a belief system rooted in childhood trauma of repression. Yeah. And someone, someone, somewhere told you that if you were yourself, you would not get the love that you needed to survive. You would not get the connection that you needed to survive. No, because uh, everybody that I've been in love with has loved me for like my real self. And I mean, there are people that I can be my real self around. My thing is more like a societal issue. I have a, like my dark tendency, my dark personality. I'm like 82% more psychopathic than a lot of people. So it's not really like that. I just have low levels of empathy. Like I'm actually like probably psychotic. I just don't kill people. <laughs> so it's like a society issue. Like everybody. And it's like, it's not even necessarily like I can't be myself. It's just that nobody in the room is thinking what I'm thinking except for like one person I can always find them it's the one thinking about DMT yeah I push back on that a little bit because the idea that you think society is outside of yourself is not true that's that's something that I would suggest that you figure out which aspect of yourself with it now if you're a true psychopath like you're truly like that you have that rare medical condition where your brain just doesn't have that sort of capacity to empathize. Well, it's based and, like... Um, yeah, because most psychopaths in our world today are created from trauma. Yeah. And, they, and most psychopaths are not psychopaths. They're just people uh, suffering from CPTSD. Well, I don't necessarily make it better either. I mean, I take a lot of like actual like psychotics, so... Exactly. So you do a lot of things that sort of disconnect you from the actuality of your psyche. You know, you're not really going in. It's a different, it's a different pursuit. I mean, the, my, my goal, my thing with individualism started out as like not a choice. And then you kind of move towards where you voluntarily separate yourself from everybody. And when, once you get to that point, you kind of have to put more of a different spin on it. And my ultimate goal is to, uh, to move my assemblage point to where I can perceive, you know, like another reality. But I don't know if I'll ever get that far, but I, I definitely don't think I'll get as close to that goal if I preoccupy my time trying to appease and hang out with people. No, it's not about appeasement. It's about recognizing that there's no such thing. You're either yourself or you're not. I'm always myself, but I have to, I have to play myself. I have to stalk myself when I'm in the presence of others. Otherwise I make them uncomfortable. Hmm. 
stalking yourself is just um like i was saying it's realizing the aspects of you like what how am i perceived and re- and what not just how you're perceived but how you, like what your actual core characteristics are and then turning them on their fucking head no, I like know. I telling to- somebody that i do bonsai they no, always I have, I have freak out tell me about that yesterday he was telling me about you know and it's social engineering and i disagree with it it, I don't do it for the social aspect. I do it for myself. It gives me such a big push back to like, um, once you, like I was talking about the place of no pity, your assemblage point moves. If it's through um, meditation or power plants, reaching that state of heightened awareness actually changes where the assemblage point on your your cocoon of the, of the man is on your body, basically. Um, and then through like no pity and isolation, those are ways to move the assemblage point back to that way without the need for power plants or meditation it's a stalking is like um it's active sorcery it's it's a way to uh no i know what it is it's a way like it but is, there, it is a pur- there is a purpose in the isolation and the the blocking yourself off because only in that's um the, the vampire book talks about it the most um the what the gnostic view of that the only the you were created by something not not like a, a creator that wanted you to obey he created you the way you are and he wanted you to be the way you are flaws and everything he wanted me to be psychotic he wanted me to be isolated and the the only time i can be my true self is when there's nobody bouncing the reality off you really well yes that's when you're your truest self and you're the most true to your creator well, what i'm trying to express to you is that that is a stage in development yeah, that's all a journey. And also, it's very controlling. I don't. And it's also very unnecessary. I found. I found. It's I don't. Necessary for you to do it at that. It's, it seems like it's really necessary for you to do that because I've been in that position. But it's like once. It's like people. Sometimes people need to be alone to to be psychotic or to be in that sort of almost. Yeah. It's to you know when you live alone. The the space changes things too. Sort of or your mental state. Yeah. Issues kind of play out. I didn't. You have no one else to reflect. Your, you have no one else to project your nonsense onto, so yeah. you have to sit with all of the ways that you try to destroy yourself. That's how you learn to deal with yourself. That because you are trying to destroy yourself internally, you project this out into society, and you go, "I, you know, it's society that I want to be psychotic on." And it's like, no, that's a reflection of what's going on inside. But you know this, which is why you would state, "I have to be alone." Well, uh, it, like. Um like it used to make me sad, you know, when I was a, a kid or in school and stuff like that. But once I moved my uh, my assemblage point far enough, and I realized what it what it felt like, like I don't feel alone. I have my because you're not alone. Yeah, that's an illusion. But I mean, like you know, you know what I'm saying. Like that that feeling wasn't there anymore. So it wasn't like a it wasn't like an active thing. I just realized like I have to deal with myself the most. So I mean, I became my I became my biggest fan. And it was like whenever I hang out with other people, I dilute that. <laughs> that that okay. So let's talk about that. Let's unpack that a little bit because that's something that I. I personally don't really feel that anymore. But there's a reason I don't feel that anymore because I recognize I I did feel that for a while and I. I was noticing, like, the more time I was living alone and spending time alone, like our hermit, the more being around other people became a bit, so much reflection and projection was happening that I just had to be very careful of, um, I'd be selective with my vibrations. Because I could just go into a place and radiate my natural energy and watch it transform the space in a positive way, just because that's just how my energy works at least to me, but that, see, positive and negative in this case, those are just uh, subjective polarities as far as people are concerned, because then you go to someone who's really negative, or not even negative, they're in a lower vibrational state. The last thing they need is a higher vibrational state is a connection for them. Yeah. So in order to meet them, help them, be with them, sit down next to them, you either have to lower your vibrational state or you're going to be prepared for conflict or you're going to get conflict, um, which is why I think you say, oh, I, you know, why, why I can't be myself in, in crowds or in, you know, around people or in society. And it's like, eh, you can. You need to know how to own your energy. People don't know how to own their energy and they don't know how to maintain that authenticity without making it a constant transference of energy between them in the room, in the crowd. And that's 
a level of mastery. You have to want to desire. You have to desire to do that because it's totally possible. I have opposite goals. I used exactly. to. I used to be upset when no one thinking that like nobody saw me, and then once I understood and myself. You're not seeing you. No. That's why no, 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 no. Well, when that's I. That's why anyone would think that. No, when I understood myself and what like what had been going on the whole time, like it's a you have to look at it the right way. Like if you if you consider it like well no one's looking at me i guess i don't exist the opposite end of that is like no one's looking at me i'm fucking invisible and i'm in the middle of like 30 people like i can do anything i want invisibility spells work and Uh, it's actually something i used to you know i used to cast invisibility spells when i was a child and even as a teen i had that happen to me a couple times like i would play for like 30 minutes like while the rest of the class was sitting down the teacher wouldn't notice i'd just be like zoning out on the computer for an extra hour before anyone would like pay attention and they they like i didn't know i didn't know what those things were when i was little but yeah. then once i you know had that shift and i realized like the purpose of being alone now it's like fucking fun dude like i can go out and be invisible yeah you can you i can. snuck into the vampire ball that way yeah you can do that you can yeah that's 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 kind of how that works that's it that's fucking good dude we're already at 105 though i think that's a good place to cut it that was a fucking that was a killer talk man oh, oh yeah no I'm, I'm glad you feel that way and i'm glad that you had me on again When's um so the show's on November third, um and it yeah, is at yeah, Sovereignty Redefined. One one three one Nicholson Street, Houston, seven seven zero eight. Yeah, um, yeah, you can just look up the Gallery Visionary Heights and give you that address. It'll be a lot more solid. It's gonna be in the description. I'm gonna be there, you should be there too. We'll post up a link to more Alex's work and try to have her back on soon. All right, thank you. Take care.